0: Welcome back to Expected Value, the podcast that goes inside the sports analytics world. I'm Paul Carr, and it's good to talk to everyone again. We've been on hiatus for a few months during True Media's busy offseason for baseball and football. Now we're getting restarted. We'll have shows coming up talking NFL draft and to a minor league baseball coach. And we'll begin here by talking to John Tobias, professor of sports statistics at UNC Charlotte and statistician for a variety of sports on TV from football to basketball to the Olympics. In our conversation, which we had while John was prepping for the NCAA tournament in Bloomington, we'll talk about his unconventional path of working in both TV and the academic world, what a statistician does during a broadcast, how to choose what stats are given to talent, the challenges to live TV, how advanced stats factor into all that, and communicating stats concisely in broadcasts. We'll touch on components that go into teaching sports statistics, advice for students and anyone interested in a sports analytics career. The diversity or lack thereof in the sports analytics world, which was a topic of a recent Boston Globe article that featured John, suggestions for making the field more diverse, and his favorite event he's covered working in television. Then, True Media CEO Ray Anderson will join me to react and wrap things up. Without further ado, here's the expected value conversation with John Tobias. <laughs> We're joined now on Expected Value by John Tobias, Professor of Sports Stats and Analytics at UNC Charlotte and also a TV statistician on the sports side. John, welcome to the show. It seems like you sort of stumbled into this sports analytics world a little bit. So give me your path, just kind of how you got here.
1: I'll give you the cliff note version, Paul. First off, thank you so much for having me. I definitely do appreciate that. Um, Just like I've mentioned before, it's about as unconventional As possible, because if you think about it, you know, most people when they go to college, you know, they find out exactly what they want to do. And then once when they figure that out, they hone their craft. And then once when they hone their craft, they make themselves thorough enough to where once when they get out in the career world, they can make sure they can be as successful as possible. Well, I did anything but that. So (laughs) (laughs) in other words, I was a criminal justice major when I was an undergrad, Uh, never did anything with it. I was much more enamored with my fraternity. Back then, as much as I was in terms of like school. And sometimes I forgot, wait a minute, why am I in college? You know, but the interesting part is that, of course, when I graduated, I got really smacked in the face in terms of, okay, this is the real world. And I was as unprepared as I could possibly get. So, having worked in finance for, you know, several years, and I know that it sounds nice working for like Fortune 500 companies, uh, I just wasn't happy. And that's when I had my quote unquote epiphany. To where the definition of success isn't how much money that you make, it is truly doing something that you love and have a passion for. So I wrote down in terms of the things that I happen to be you know, passionate about are the things that I happen to be good at. And the one thing that kept on circling around was sports. And I said to myself, okay, no, this is something that I really want to do. But of course, whenever you make a big career change or a big move, the first thing that comes to your mind is, is doubt. Wait a minute, I don't know anyone mm. in the sports industry. I don't know who to call, but right. I was really determined. So I ended up going to grad school and getting my master's in sports management because I had to get some type of like credibility because I knew that I would not get an opportunity to like, you know, get hired with like a finance background. Right. So I ended up going to grad school, but the key was me getting an internship with with the Hornets. And actually it was back when they had the WNBA team as well, like the Charlotte mm. Stains. Mm -hmm. And here's the interesting part, though, Paul, when I got that internship, I was more or less into like the PR thing, the public relations thing. I did not even know that stats and analytics even existed at that time. And I stumbled upon it because there happened to be a day to where they needed someone to do stats in terms of the Hornets. I believe it was against the Mavericks and uh, our normal statistician got sick. So I had to just do my due diligence and just prepare. And they asked me to do it. And that's generally like how it started. Mm-hmm. It's generally how it started. But the one thing that I take about that is that if a person has the courage to, to follow their dreams and passions in, and as scary as that is, it can just cause you to just stumble upon things that you did not even know existed. So yep. I know that's a long answer, but you know I wanted to give it some context to where yep. that's how that more or less really came about. And then I ended up doing that you know for the following season and then that transitioned you know eventually to um to ESPN.
0: Yeah, no that's that's similar to kind of how I got into the the research analytics world. I was a comms major, uh more on the media side because like mm-hmm. you said these fields didn't exist. And we'll talk more about that uh, in a little bit and just kind of find our way uh, one way or another over to more of the the numbers and such. So let's, let's start first with the TV work that you do. So you work as a statistician for broadcasts across different sports, different networks, just broadly speaking, especially for people who aren't as familiar with the industry. What do you do in that statistician role for TV?
1: Okay, so like let's say for example, right now I am in Indianapolis, with well, technically Bloomington for the NCAA tournament. So mm-hmm. obviously, whenever there are any type of like big games that are on TV, you know, whether it's CBS, ESPN, you know, Fox, of course, you always have a play-by-play person, you always have a color analyst, and then you have like more or less a statistician that's always beside the play-by-play person. So, in other words, let's say for example, if you're watching a game. And let's say it's Jim Nance and Bill Raftery and Grand Hill, and it could be like LSU against St. Bonaventure's. And you're watching the game like just like millions of other people, and you may hear the announcer say, you know, wow, you know, St. Bonaventure's is on a 10-0 t- t- run right now. Or, can you believe that Cameron Thomas, who, by the way, is averaging 22 points a game for LSU, he has scored the last 16 points for LSU. And by the way, all 16 of those points have come into paint. Well, that's somebody that is sitting right beside them, giving them that information to like tell the TV audience. Or if you happen to like, you know, look at the bottom of the TV screen, you know, like LeBron James has eight assists and he's assisted to like seven different players. Or Tom Brady, you know, he's now like five for five on third down. So like my job is to like explain a narrative to where you're educating the TV audience, whether it's through the announcer at the bottom of the TV screen to where the audience is saying, okay, so that's the reason why this team is up by five. That's the reason why this team is down by two. So I always, my job is to really just educate the audience. And I would say to make the announcers look smart, but they're already Uh smart enough, but it's really to give them information that otherwise they would not be privy to.
0: Yeah. So, how I get asked this question a lot back in my TV days. How do you decide what notes you're giving? Because obviously, you know, you, you have a stats monitor, you have whatever you're writing down, you have a wealth of information. How do you pick and choose and figure out, all right, what's the good thing to hand them right now?
1: I have a motto when it comes to, in terms of stats, and I probably will be repeating this throughout this interview. Well, first off, you have to have some type of like foresight in terms of like what you think that may like really resonate with the audience. But at the end of the day, be timely, be accurate and be interesting. Mm -hmm. So, of course, in terms of be accurate, that's self-explanatory. If you give, you know, the announcer wrong information or the producer wrong information, obviously you're doing a disservice to everyone, not just yourself, but to everyone. Of course, you know, be timely if you have someone that has a career high, you know, of, of, um, of 20 points. And then you look down and he already has 28. Well, it's too late. You know, the current how was 20 points, you know, you're eight points, you know, away. And then of course the big thing, you know, is, is be interesting because it's easy to say that, Hey, this person has two touchdowns or, you know, this person has, you know, like 21 points, but, you know, let's go ahead and kind of like remove the curtain and to give like more specifics in terms of like the example of like, you know, this person has like this many points, you know, from the paint Our Steph Curry has 10 threes. And by the way, eight of those threes have come from like, you know, the corner, corner threes. Mm-hmm. Again, it's like educating the audience to like, OK, this is interesting. So, again, be accurate, of course, be timely, be interesting.
0: Yeah, no, that's good. I like to say if it makes me go, ooh. You know, that's, that's a good sign. Or if it makes somebody watching TV perk up a little bit, that goes to your, your be interesting point.
1: Exactly. Uh, yes. Yes, for what, sure.
0: What are, what are the challenges you face in delivering information to talent? Cause I mean, we see the end product and it seems so seamless because you know, the talent is so good at just working the information in what what are the challenges that you're always dealing with during the live broadcast?
1: I would say two things. I would say, number one, make sure that, that you stay focused because a lot of times you've worked in sports longer than I have. So, whether it's football, basketball, baseball, you can see an incredible touchdown catch like by OBJ. You can see like a great dunk by Zion Williamson. You can see a great home run by Bryce Harper, like Mike Trout. And it's easy for a person to go off an of instinct and jump out of their chair like, oh, wow, that is awesome. But yeah. you have to have a very like myopic view in terms mm-hmm. of, okay, make sure that you get the information. Make sure that it's timely, you know, that's first and foremost. So that can be a challenge in terms of like distraction. That's a good problem to have, you know. And I would say the second thing is really thinking clear and level headed during chaos, because you know how it is. I mean, a game Mm -hmm. constantly goes on. You know, of course, you have like immediate timeouts, but there, there's constant, you know, organized chaos and things can go on like all the time. So you really it's really important to think clear and level headed while things are going on, because, again, that's part of sports it's part of the business. And no matter what sport you're in, the chaos is always generally like the same. So just really just stay focused from that standpoint.
0: Yeah, I think and totally level headed. Yeah, I remember. I was at the World Cup in 2010 when Landon Donovan scored that goal against Algeria. Everyone goes nuts. And I have like five or ten seconds just like almost running around the studio. And then it's what he said. Like, (laughs) all right, this totally changes because the U.S. was going to get eliminated. And, and yeah, so you get like those two seconds of kind of joy and being a fan. And then it's all right, back to work.
1: (laughs) Exactly. See, you can relate. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely.
0: How do uh, I'll call them analytics or advanced numbers? How does that factor in? Because obviously that's grown a lot in the last decade or so. Just mm-hmm. from uh, what's prevalent, what's available, uh, what's understood. How do you work kind of the more advanced stuff in? How do you think about that while you're working on broadcast?
1: I try to look at it to where you know, uh, uh, as we get older and how sports has evolved, I think the fan has also meaning mm-hmm. that it's easy to like look at a game and look at like a box score to see exactly like how many points this person has, how many rebounds, assists, you know, how many um, rushing yards and and russian carries but the thing about it is what makes it unique for a statistician is why don't you try to give information that someone cannot see on the box score you know as we like to say like advanced stats or like advanced you know like analytics you know because like again let's say for example i've used basketball a lot for example so we'll just go ahead and use football for example Mm Let's take uh Trevor Lawrence, because I'm assuming he's going to be the first player picked in the draft. Trevor Lawrence obviously played at Clemson. And let's say, for example, when it gets to the fourth quarter and it has his stats, he's twenty three for thirty. he has three touchdowns, and he has a big game going on right now against uh, Ohio State. But how is he in how how has he been doing this season in the fourth quarter? You know, it's easy to see yeah. in terms of like what he's doing right now. But as we head into the fourth quarter, the game is tied. As a fan sitting down, I would like to know, OK, Trevor Lawrence is a good quarterback, but is he clutch? The game is tied right now. How is he doing? Like how does he do like in the fourth quarter? Is his um, completion percentage higher in the fourth quarter as opposed to the first? Is it lower? Mm-hmm. So, again, it's really like educating the audience and giving them that information that where otherwise they just don't have that. You know, they're not privy to get that information.
0: Any other keys to communicating the the numbers, the stats, whether it's to the announcer or to the audience? Any other things you're uh, just kind of constantly aware of as you're trying to communicate well? You mean like how do I communicate it? Yeah, yeah. You know, you're, you're, you're basically you know, you're taking these all the stuff and trying to boil it down. So what's yes, important is yes. to try to do that.
1: Well, I try to make it that to where it's condensed. Of course, with the producer, I mean, all all statisticians are beside the broadcasters, but we have a headset on. So it's easy to go ahead and just convey that message to the producer, like, you know, with the headset. Obviously, when it comes to giving that information to the talent, you can't talk to them because they're actually doing the game. So if you just go ahead, you know, just write that down and just show it to them. It's really as simple as that. It really is as simple as that.
0: Yeah. So let's uh, shift gears over uh, to your other job, teaching sports stats analytics at UNC Charlotte. Okay. And let's kind of start. What goes into teaching sports stats in a classroom? I, mean, I think, you know, we're all generally familiar with teaching math or statistics in the traditional sense. There's a, you know, sports slash media component that I think makes a lot of sense. And now you're kind of combining those two a little bit. How do you uh, go about putting that classroom together and, and the work there?
1: Well, it's interesting because before I got the job, even like as an adjunct, and I, I believe we're going to talk about that later on, mm-hmm. I had already built like a curriculum and like a syllabus, like in my head, because I always asked myself, mm-hmm. what would I find interesting? You know, yeah. I'm a big sports fan, just like you. So what would I find interesting? What would resonate with me? So whatever I found interesting and would resonate with me, I made sure that I put that down, but it, I made sure that it was like in a very organized manner. So mm-hmm. the one thing, uh, areas that really stood out was obviously in terms of, in ter- if you ask in terms of components, in terms of how stats and an advanced, advanced stats and analytics, how it comes into play when it comes to team performance, mm-hmm. obviously, player performance, and contract negotiations, you know, when it comes mm-hmm. to contract negotiations, because again, I've mentioned this before. A lot of times people don't think about connecting the dots when you talk about analytics and advanced stats when it comes to contract negotiations, whether you're the agent or whether you are the general manager. Because let's say, for example, if you have a person, I believe free agency is starting right now with the NFL. Right. Let's take wide receiver Juju Smith-Schuster. Uh, I believe Curtis Samuel just signed like a three-year, $36 million contract with the Redskins. He's mm-hmm. going to look at his numbers. And the eight his agent's gonna look at his numbers and say, okay, listen, my numbers are better than Curtis Samuel. Curtis <laughs> Samuel's never gotten over a thousand yards. I have. I had, you know, like over 90, you know, catches. I believe based on this, and by the way, I do much better in cold weather than this particular player and these other players that are for free agency that are wide receivers. Based on this, and it's something tangible, I feel that you should go ahead and give me this amount of money. So, in other words, it's it's really all about numbers. You have to use advanced stats and you have to use like analytics. So those are the three things in terms of team performance, player performance, you know, the contract negotiation part. And even now, in terms of how it is evolving, when I say it, I'm talking about the sports industry, when it comes to like daily fantasy sports and in terms of like sports vetting, uh, because to me, I look at it similar to to where it's the stock market. Not everyone is like a stockbroker, but I think that it's good to like to be educated. Especially yeah. now when you have like certain states that are passing laws in terms of to where you can now, you know, like bet on sports. Now I'm not trying to get students to bet on sports, but since, you know, a lot of these States are getting passed, I think it's very important to like educate them to, or listen, if you happen to have these two games, don't really necessarily bet on emotion, bet on what the numbers say. What, okay. what, do, what are do the, what do the advanced stats say? What do the analytics say? So with that being said, Team performance, player performance, uh, contract negotiations, uh, you know, sports betting part. And then also the, the fifth one is the is the business side, you know, of analytics as well. Uh, you know, Jerry Jones bought the Dallas Cowboys in 1989 for one hundred and eighty some million dollars. Now it's valued at six point five billion dollars more than any other you know franchise in the world. Well, how did he get to that? You know, like what were some of the savvy business moves that he made and some of the ones that he did not make? that to propel him to get to
0: 6.5 billion. Yeah, no, I like that. I like the use case of an agent and player using the numbers because that's what we always tell people too, or average sports fan would ask, you know, who cares about these advanced analytics? Well, teams and players are using these. And if they're using these, like it's it's our job, kind of in the media world and the academic world, to kind of reflect that and right. and let people know this is this is what's going into these things. So this is what you need to know. It's it's just like any other industry in that sense. The reason at the the top levels, like it should trickle down to everybody else.
1: Absolutely, a hundred percent, Paul. I agree with
0: you. Let me ask how you got into teaching sports statistics as, as we are from, like the field didn't exist when we were in school, really. Uh, right. And now here you are <clears throat> teaching it at a university. So how did you get into that from an academic standpoint?
1: Well, not quite as unconventional, Paul, as how I got into you know, sports <laughs> analytics, not that unconventional, but but slightly different, slightly different, but it was pretty straightforward. So about three years ago, I read a great article that Syracuse University had just announced that they were the first university in the United States to where you could actually get an undergrad degree in sports analytics. So I thought that that was really, really cool. And then I said to myself, well, listen, I'm in Charlotte, and if this is something that I do on a regular basis for my career, I would love to have the opportunity to teach students in terms of the impact now about sports analytics, advanced tests, and how it has evolved in the past 10 or 15 years. And again, use those components in terms of the impact with the player standpoint, uh, with player performance, team performance, uh, in terms of sports business part, contract negotiation, all of that. So yeah. I became very excited. And that's when I started to write things down in terms of how I would want my class to be. And I ended up reaching out to several people at UNC Charlotte, thankfully. Uh, They were very receptive. And this wasn't that long ago. This was like, Mm -hmm. this was exactly two years ago. This is March of 2021. I met with them around February and March of 2019. And that fall, I ended up teaching as an adjunct professor, fall 2019. And that's how it started.
0: Great. What kind of students tend to gravitate toward your class? I mean, I can see a bunch of different majors or career paths that the kids are interested in, but who are you generally finding coming into your classroom?
1: Obviously the people that love sports, but also the people that love data. So in other words, when you have like the intersection of sports and data and how that came about in the fall of 2019, they were mostly computer science majors and they were all males. It was only 15. And but since then, you know, that has changed. I mean, you know, the class is like it's class size is tripled. It's quadrupled in, in certain on times of the semester as well. And now it's more or less it's, it's more balanced. And it's not just computer science majors. Some of them are like business majors as well, you know, that had to take, you know, some type of statistics course. But it's really like a, a good, healthy mix for sure.
0: Nice. And I would imagine that helps the classroom. Like you, you don't want everyone single minded. It's it's probably I would assume it's good to have these different angles, different mindsets that are all coming together, uh, trying to figure out the same sorts of things.
1: Yes, exactly, exactly for sure, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. And it's changed more now because now since I'm working there full time, so you know, so I guess technically, Paul, I have two full time jobs. Um, yeah. <laughs> it keeps me busy. But hey, if you enjoy what you do, I mean, it's. Right. it's It's not like that you're running yourself into the ground too bad or or you necessarily don't feel like that. But now by me teaching a sports business analytics class, again, you just start to uncover just so many ways that the impact that advanced stats and analytics that they have
0: in the sports industry. What's the... A general advice. I assume there you know you're going to get asked a lot of questions. Hey, I want to get into the sports analytics world or something like that. Uh, what's your kind of general advice that you dole out to students or people who are interested in the field? I think
1: it's two part. Meaning that I encourage anyone to if there's a sports analytics class to go ahead and take the class so they can mm-hmm. make sure that they have more of a of a of a thorough understanding in terms of if this is something that they want to do. And if it is something that they want to do, I then encourage them to get a internship. And I cannot emphasize that enough because you probably know just as well as I do, if you want to make a career out of anything, by far throughout the journey, by far, the hardest part is getting your foot in the door, by far. Now, once you're able to get like your foot in the door, then of course anything can happen. But just having an internship is that number one, you're being told by your boss in terms of the things that they need to be, that you need to be successful and you're able to meet so many different people as well. So number one, go ahead and like make sure that you take a sports analyst class. And two, if you realize that this is something that you want to do, go ahead and take an internship because it is unbelievably valuable for so many
0: reasons. It's hard to replace the real world experience uh, for, I mean, I can even think like I interned at a TV station when I was in college and realized like local sports was not what I wanted to do, mm-hmm. but that was very valuable to me. Cause then I was like, all right, we're going to find this different route and, and figure out what the different thing is. Sometimes it's that sometimes it's doors opening doors, closing. Uh, yeah, yeah. you can't, you can't top experience. It seems kind of obvious, but I think it's something that needs emphasized. Like it wasn't emphasized to me as much, and this was, you know, a while ago. So it was a different world, but yeah, the yep. internships and the, that experience, you can't beat that. So I like that why
1: you nailed it. Real-world experience, I think, that is is—I think is so critical. No matter what profession, I think yeah. that is so critical, not just sports. Yep.
0: Yeah. So I want to talk about, so there's a Boston Globe article, which is what caught my attention and, and brought your name uh, to my mind uh, a few weeks ago. It was talking about more or less the lack or the slight growth in diversity in the sports industry and sports analytics industry. And so I, I guess, first of all, you were mentioned prominently in that article and that, you know, You Are Black, this is an audio podcast, so people may not know that. So we should point that out. Uh, Okay. I guess just generally, tell me what you thought of the article and where we're kind of at diversity-wise in sports analytics.
1: Well, first of all, I I thought that the article was great, and it really had less to do about me being featured. I mean, by me being featured, you know, I'm I'm very grateful, very, very Mm -hmm. grateful. But... The most important most important part to me is that it brought like awareness and it brought more or less like a spotlight in terms yeah. of the lack of diversity in the sports analytics industry, because even though it's it's exciting, you're able to like learn a lot. That's still an issue. And just like mm-hmm. I stated in the Boston Globe, this isn't a, an indictment or a referendum or any particular you know network or organization or company in terms of their hiring practices at all, at all. It's just that when it comes to a position that becomes available, and let's say you have like 30 to 100 people apply, they all look the same. So, and I think that the biggest key is really, it's all about awareness, Paul, awareness, because you don't know what you don't know. And I think that there are a lot of students that are underrepresented That love sports and have an affinity towards sports and may even love numbers, but have no idea that these type of positions even exist. They may want to get into sports, but they feel that the only way that they can get into sports is either being like an athlete or a coach. And that is 100% incorrect. 100% incorrect. So I think that that article definitely, you know, kind of sheds a lot of light in terms of like, you know, what is happening you know, in terms of what's going on. And of course, I feel obligated to do something, you know, to to help fix that in terms of do my part. Because, again, I've been doing stats for a long time. I've only seen one other person, you know, that looks like me. His name is Chris Taylor, by the way. Really good guy who lives in Seattle, uh, who's who's do, who's doing stats. You know, I've only seen mm-hmm. one other female and I haven't seen like any, you know, Latinos you know, or Hispanics. And again, yeah. it doesn't mean that they don't love sports. I just don't think that they even know that this, uh, this this particular type of like genre of sports analytics and being like a data analyst or a statistician or a business sports analyst even exist.
0: You mentioned in the Globe article that the class wasn't very diverse, the class that you teach initially. Now, I'm judging from a couple of your Instagram pictures, but it looks like that's changing. Just, you know, there's there's more uh, representation in some of those pictures. Uh, how do you go about making that happen, or how does that come about?
1: It's it's hard to say. I think it's a combination of both. I think mm-hmm. one, a lot of times things come together like organically, and a lot of times from a from a visual standpoint, and that and the word gets out. And then sometimes people may see something different. Here's what I mean. If you mm-hmm. see a sports stats and analytics class, and by the way, you see that an African American male is actually teaching the class. I think that it also gives a lot of African-American males and females, it, it causes them to pause and say, well, wait a minute, okay, this is different. And then, of course, they become curious. And if they already love sports, I think it kind of gives them more of a desire to go ahead and, and take that class. Because a lot of times, you know, no matter what race you are, no, ma- or no matter what gender you are, if you aspire to be in a certain role. And let's say it's a high role and you see someone in that particular high role that looks like you it inspires you it, it gives you hope that's the main thing It really like gives you hope to okay like i i think i want to try to go ahead and do this because before you you don't see anything or anyone that looks like you and i think that i kind of like pose that as as a good thing for sure and i mm-hmm. think that that has definitely like made an impact how much of an impact I don't really know, but I definitely think that it's made an impact cuz I've had some of my students tell me.
0: Good, yeah. So I ask this as kind of almost education for myself uh, and awareness as much as anything else. Are there obstacles that you have faced as a, a black man in the sports analytics field or or things that I don't know, you would just say that people should be aware of as you're, as you're mentioning. Yeah
1: not really not really because i i think no matter what you are in terms of your race or or, or your gender it's it's really all about hard work and just really just hustling and just putting yourself out out there Mm -hmm. because one thing i convey to my students is that no opportunity is going to come knocking at your door if so you are extremely lucky you have to work you have to work and you have to make sure that you put yourself in a great position um, you know, to get it. So I don't think that I'm any different, you know, than anyone else. Um, it's just something that's just in me to just to to just really exemplify a really good work ethic, because I definitely think that hard work does indeed work.
0: What else do you encourage everyone to do to make this field more diverse? And any tips or just, hey, think about this or be aware of this, something like that, that you would have as general wisdom?
1: Well, when it comes to when it comes to underrepresented groups, I think where I can help them is by just making them aware because we've used that word a lot in terms of this particular mm-hmm. podcast in terms of aware and awareness and to to me Paul it really starts with high school. Because a lot of times when you're in college or you're out of school, you know, it, it, it's kind of hard to like change careers. I mean, many people have done it, but it's much easier to go ahead and and recalibrate when you're like in high school. And when it comes to underrepresented groups, you know, it's really all about awareness. That's why I've, you know, just, you know, created a a nonprofit called Strength in Mm -hmm. Numbers to where Mm -hmm. we are teaching underrepresented groups, you know, throughout the country that are rising high school seniors about sports and analytics to let them know that, hey, this actually does exist, you know, and it's Kind of piggybacks on what we talked about. There were a lot of people underrepresented groups in high school and even in college, they don't even know that this even exists. They they don't know. Right. They don't know that this exists. So it all starts with awareness because once when you have awareness, awareness then leads to opportunity yeah. and access. It's all about yeah. access. Awareness yeah. and access always leads to opportunity because if you don't if you're unaware and if you don't have access you don't know
0: yep okay we like to close things out with our what we call our playing favorites segment where we go through a number of your favorites have a little fun with this okay so, is this kind of like yeah. a
1: rapid fire type thing
0: a little little bit rapid fire yeah so <laughs> okay give me your favorite number and why i'm gonna
1: say 13 i'm 20. gonna say 13 because uh, i'm my name is john tobias ii and okay. obviously, my dad, John Tobias first, I have my son, Trey, he's 19, so he's the third. So 1-3, 13.
0: 1-3. I like it. It's a good yes. one. Uh, who was your favorite player when you were a kid? Any sport?
1: Okay, I'm dating myself, but when I was a youngster, youngster like back in the day, I was definitely a Dr. J fan. And yeah. then as I started to become like a teenager, it was more or less Michael Jordan. And plus, it helps that he's from North
0: Carolina. Yeah, you got some natural connections there. There sure. you go. Do you have a favorite game or event that you have worked?
1: Oh, wow. <laughs> um I would actually say I would actually say the Olympics. I've been very fortunate yeah. to work the past two Summer Olympics, 2012 Olympics in London and the 2016 Olympics in Rio. So just working, you know, some of those events that that was a tremendous blessing for sure. So I would just say the Olympics because that's something yeah. that only comes once every four years.
0: That, yeah, that's tough to beat. Having done some World Cups, which have a similar kind of global nature, like those are those are kind of a different animal. Yes, uh, absolutely. And finally, do you have a favorite "How did I get here?" moment? By which I mean you were able to kind of like take a step or a moment, doing whatever you're doing, and kind of soak in you know just the the coolness, how fortunate you are to be in this spot.
1: Well, you know. That is a great question. And, and this isn't. A, I mean, this, this won't be a rapid-fire answer, but I'll try to be right. make it as rapid-fire as, as possible to kind of just give it a little bit more context, mm-hmm. is that every game that I do, I am truly, truly grateful. I, I really, really am because a lot of times, whether you have a passion for cooking, sports, building, helping others, if you if you have the opportunity to do something that you truly love then a lot of times that will give you gratitude. And it says, okay, like, how did I get here? But, hey, I'm here. I'm very, very grateful. So I try to have that mindset every particular game that I work. But I would say one of the times where it's it's really stood out is, this is going to be an interesting answer, probably the games that I've actually done in Hawaii. Because Mm -hmm. whenever I do football, I travel mostly and do Mountain West football games, and I do SEC football games, but mostly Mountain West. And some people will say, wait a minute, Mountain West, that's not, you know, Clemson, that's not Alabama, that's not Michigan, Ohio State. That is true. But one thing about it, Paul, is that Mountain West, they have some really, really cool cities where universities Mm -hmm. are placed at. So whether it's San Diego State, you and I know San Diego is a great city. Boise is a very underrated town. San Jose, of course, the Bay Area. But, Hawaii, by the way, is in the Mountain West, <laughs> but to get a chance to go to these cities that otherwise yeah. you would not have an opportunity to go to, it's like, this is really, really, really cool. Like, how did I get here? So again, it's it's really all about gratitude because it can be taken at any moment. So yeah. just just the fact of just having an opportunity to like be in those cities, it's it's a great blessing.
0: Yep. Yeah. And as we've seen in the last year, even just the ability to get around those cities once you're there is is changing a lot. So yeah. I'm absolutely uh, be more grateful for all these opportunities that we get to, to see different places yes so, all right that'll wrap things up here for expected value john tobias professor of sports stats and analytics at unc charlotte tv sports statistician thanks for joining us here on the show
1: paul thanks for having me i definitely do appreciate it
0: Back in the True Media Studios, I'm Paul Carr. Thanks again to John Tobias for joining us on the show. You can follow him on Twitter at Tobias Stats and check our show notes for the Boston Globe article that featured John, along with some other links, including the Twitter account for the charity he mentioned, Strength in Numbers. It's on Twitter at Strength Numeros. I'm joined now by True Media CEO Rafe Anderson, who spotted the Globe article and suggested getting John on the podcast. Rafe, welcome to the show. First time. What did you take away from the conversation with John?
2: Yeah, there was, a, there was a lot to take away. Um, yeah. I Like you mentioned, I, I had an opportunity to speak with John uh, prior to your interview, and I was very impressed. I, I was compelled by a couple of things he commented on. One of the things was just related to breaking into the industry. I just think that this is a very common question that comes to me and others in our company about how do I get into sports. And I definitely think, you know, as John mentioned, internships are so valuable, but Internships are extremely scarce Mm -hmm. and I think too often aspiring analysts or even engineers that want to break into sports are too reliant on their resume or their academic credentials or even their connections to try to break into sports. And what I took away from like listening to John and also thinking about my past experience and the experience of others that I know is that really my number one piece of advice to someone that wants to get a job in sports or any industry really for that matter is to build something. You know, too often people talk about what they can do or what they could do. Instead, I'd just rather see what you've done, right? And so as we're evaluating talent or young students who are looking to break into the industry, if you want to be an analyst, start a blog showcasing some of your advanced models that you've created using data that you've scraped from the web you know, show some initiative. You know, if you want to be, if you're an engineer, build an app. I remember my first job in sports was with the Boston Red Sox. And I did my very best to, you know, network and refine my resume and my cover letter. But ultimately, I'm convinced that the reason they hired me was because I built an application to manage the club's internal comp ticket requests. And it had nothing to do with my resume or who Mm -hmm. I knew or, or my cover letter. So, I think John's comments about just kind of getting in and getting an internship is so key. And I think to do that, and you want a job in sports, just build something.
0: Yeah, no, I think there's some truth to that. Internship's super valuable, also hard to get. I mean, I think of my first, my first job out of college was at a radio station and I got it in part because on my tape, you know, I wanted to be more of an on-air type at the time, uh, but I got the job because on my tape, I had something I'd edited together and mm-hmm. you know, they were like, hey, did you edit this yourself? I was like, yeah, I use Cool Edit, which was kind of the industry standard at the time. They're like, oh, okay, you're hired. I mean, it wasn't that simple, but you know, I knew the audio editing software. They needed someone to do it, so it was kind of it was almost an accidental meeting that use case that you're kind of talking about.
2: Yeah, no, absolutely.
0: And I know absolutely. we want to talk about the diversity conversation we had as well. It was, it was interesting to me. I just like that you raised it's. It's almost simple to start with. It's it's awareness. It's kind of thinking about. Uh, these things and the people you talk to and the people you deal with and the people you have on a podcast, whatever it might be, it's almost that simple in some ways. There has to be some intentional awareness, I think. But but I liked how he put that. Like that's the first step for everybody involved.
2: Yeah, I, th- I think you nailed it with intentional awareness, and then to me, that's actions upon that awareness, right? right? So, um, like I said, I had an opportunity to speak with John, independent of your interview with him, and we had a great conversation about this critical issue that's facing this entire industry and obviously it's not just the sports industry but Mm -hmm. that's what we're familiar with and i think you know one of the things that i've learned um and you know we need to do a better job but one of the things i've learned is that i think too often we fall back to the excuses right so you know we'll be looking to hire for a position and when it comes to the discussion of diversity, the response is, well, we didn't have a diverse collection of applicants. And I, and I think that's just not an acceptable excuse. And I think that's one thing we're really looking at ourselves closely to determine like how to get beyond that excuse because we, we really need to, and I'm speaking for ourselves, not for others because it's up to others to determine what they wanna do and how they wanna do it. But we need to get to the point where we seek out diversity in the same way, we seek out a specific skill set, right? Like recruiting new talent to grow an organization, a successful organization. Diversity can't be viewed as like a checkbox. You know, we have to view it as a incredibly valuable asset that helps to enhance a team and help you know grow a company. And uh, like I said, I'll be very candid. You know, I I have personally fallen short on this front um and it's something that i know that i can prove on can improve on we as an organization can improve on um and you know john's right awareness is key but now we have to take that awareness and actually execute on it so but yeah, yeah. really interesting
0: no yeah it's right it's a lot of. i mean it's just you can look at whatever sports leagues and you know they weren't recruiting back in the 60s the nfl wasn't trying to get hbcu players to check boxes. I mean, maybe somewhere, I don't Mm -hmm. know, but ultimately it made them better in a lot of different ways. And you can look at that, any industry trying to get more diverse things along those lines. Absolutely. All right, right. Thank you. Thanks again to John Tobias for joining us on the show. We have episodes coming up with Alex Vigderman of sports info solutions, talking NFL draft, Robbie Robinson, Mets minor league coach. So stay tuned for those. Please subscribe, rate and review the show wherever you get your podcasts and share the show on social media or any other way you can. On behalf of Ray Anderson and all of us here at True Media, I'm Paul Carr. Thank you for listening to Expected Value, the podcast that goes inside the sports analytics world.